All right, man, what an awesome um, time of worship, and I hope uh, that that gets your engines going, because it does mine, and if you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8, uh, beginning in uh, verse 31, where we left off. Uh, we've been in a series entitled For His Glory uh, for some time. We're working our way through the entire book of Romans. We took a few weeks off for our Easter series, and now we're back at it. Uh, and we're in Romans 8, one of the best chapters of the entire book. And I know I say that every week, so it's like, Trent, it's like the whole thing is good, okay? And, and part of me is like, I want us to like go through this book, and so there's this tension for me. It's like I want to finish the book. But then, because you know I'm, a, I'm like a check-off-the-list person, you know, and so I want to do that. But at the same time, I come to passages like this and, and other places. It's like we can't just run through that. We can't just like do one sermon on that. So on your outline, there's like five points. I got really ambitious at the beginning of the week after studying. And, and when I kind of put down the, the outline, I thought, we're just going to cover it all. And it's like, we're going to stay here until five o'clock. And I started thinking, you know what? That's probably not going to go over well with everybody in the room. So we're just going to do the first three this week. And then after Mother's Day, we're going to do the the last ones. And so um, uh, don't freak out if you're a a fill-in-the-blank person. Uh, We're not going to get all of them covered today. But life is okay. If you're married to that person, look at him or her and say, life's going to be okay even though you don't get those blanks filled. Uh, I challenge you, okay? Play a little game. Fill out the blanks this week. Come back next week and see if they're right, okay? We'll do it that way. It'll be a fun, fun thing that you guys can do with your family. And uh, if you get them right, Pastor Greg will take you out to dinner. Okay, so I've been married for 13 years. July is going to be 13 years. Uh, my beautiful wife, Micah, she's actually in Kid Street right now and uh, loves kids. Amazing woman. But I'm just going to be honest with you uh, because we're in, a, we're in a safe place here and I don't I don't like to lie to people. I try not to make that a habit. So I'm going to be honest with you. And um, the first two years of our marriage were pretty much a train wreck. Um, It was filled with um, some good times, a lot of good things happening. But at the same time, there were a lot of arguments. There was a lot of tension. And there was a lot of tit for tat and, and just some uneasiness over Sometimes trivial things and sometimes bigger things. The majority was over trivial things. And, and we looked back at that and we were like, Man, what, were we, what were we thinking? I mean, we don't even know what exactly, you know, we were really arguing about. God gifted us both uh, at being really good at arguing. I don't know if that really is a gift, but we're really good at it. You should see us. I mean, we're, some of you are like, no, we're good at it too, Trent. You should listen. You should put a microphone in our house. We're pretty doggone good. But listen, we don't even know why we were doing it. And, and so it's like we, we look back on that time. And, and one of the things that I, I want us to, to really do today is really set up the groundwork for love before uh, we go too fast through God's Word. Because what I've learned over the years is that my understanding of what love is is just warped. And, and like all of us in this room who grew up in America, we have been trained to think about love in a certain way. So no matter who you are, we've watched similar movies, you know, the, the, the romantic 
uh, comedies or just the romantic drama love stories. We've watched these movies. We've listened to uh, these songs. We've watched sitcoms. We've watched all of these various things uh, uh, media-wise. And what it's done is it's taught us what love is, or at least a cultural view of love. Now, this is a big problem because what the world says love is is not what love is. And so when, when we think about what love is, and for us, this is kind of where we were in our marriage, our definition of love, we would never like write this down on paper, but it was like what we think of when we have this cultural view of love in our life. Love really just means you make me happy. And if you make me happy, then I love you. And if you're making me happy, then I love you. And, and, and so if you're not making me happy, guess what? Well, maybe I'm falling out of love with you. You see how that works? Because love in the cultural sense is something that you can fall into and fall out of. It's something that is very emotional. It's very shallow. It's very un unrealistic and it never brings security or safety. It's a very looks driven. It's a very emotional driven word. But when we look at the Bible, it teaches us something completely, completely different. Love for us in so many ways simply means you make me happy. But that is not loving someone. That is loving me. <laughs> and so for, for, for our marriage, my expectation in marriage was that Michael was going to do whatever she could possibly do to make me happy. And her expectation is that I was going to do whatever I could possibly do to make her happy. Now, do you see why this is a recipe for disaster? There is no possible way she can make me happy no matter how hard she tries. Ultimately, it's going to get old. I'm not going to like it anymore. You know, the shoulder rubs aren't as good anymore, you know. And it's like everything in life that we try to really consume and, and fill that void in our heart and our life comes up empty because nothing satisfies. And so if love is, you know what, make me happy, make you happy, we're in a cultural mindset of what love is. And, and listen, culture will even tell you that a biblical love is unhealthy. Because a biblical love is a sacrificial, I'm with you no matter what kind of of love, right? And culture will tell us, and, and Oprah and whoever else will tell you that if he's not making you happy, then life is too short. You should probably move on because you got to respect yourself and you, you know, you better do your thing and, and go on with life and, and, you know, just leave him behind if he doesn't get his act together and vice versa for the ladies, you know? And it's like, it's like men feel like, you know, we watch Cupid flying around his little diaper, you know, and it's like, we actually think that he exists, you know? And it's like men think that they can walk down the mall and like, you know, Cupid in his fat little diaper hits us with an arrow and we automatically fall in love with the girl behind the counter. And it's like, I can't control myself. Cupid got me, the girl behind the counter, giving me the 10% discount with those eyes. Now I'm in love with her. You see, love for us is all about ourselves. 
But when we look at the Bible, it's all about accepting, sacrificing, and giving of yourself. It's a, it's a self-sacrificing love. It's completely different than what our culture teaches us love is. And, and so the hard part about talking about God's love in this environment is that we automatically go to what we've been trained to think about love. I've got to make him happy, so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to make him happy. We come to God and we say, God, I've got to do X, Y, and Z to make you happy. And some of us feel guilty and some of us feel ashamed because we haven't been doing X, Y, and Z good enough. And so we feel like we're out of love with God and he has separated himself from us and he is unhappy with us. Destroys our spiritual life, but this cultural view of love is killing your marriage as well. And it's killing your relationship with your kids as well. If love is making me happy, then you won't all then you will always be on your guard. If love is making somebody happy, then you will always be on your guard. My wife will always be walking on eggshells in our house, always afraid to mess up and make a mistake and show uh, her weaknesses to me. Because if she shows her weaknesses to me, then therefore I won't be happy and then things are uneasy and not good. So I'll just not be honest. She'll not be honest and we'll just kind of float around and not talk about anything serious or talk about our feelings or anything that's going on in here. That way the appearance of happiness and the appearance of love is in the family. But you see how horrible that life is looks. It's not a safe place if love is just mere happiness. It's not a safe place to expose my weaknesses because here's the other thing. When our weaknesses are exposed, when there is tension in the house and and someone says, you did not live up to this or here is your weakness, what's our natural response to that? Anybody want to take a guess? Do what? Defense! Absolutely, it's in our DNA. You, tell, you say, what? What? You think, I'm, you think I'm a lousy husband? Let me just give you my list on how you're horrible. And we will defend ourselves immediately and we will point out all the weaknesses in his life or her life and we'll show you one, two, three, four. And then she'll show you one, two, three, and the list goes on. And it's like in our DNA, but folks, this is not love. This is not love. This is a cultural, worldly mentality of what love is. It is not simply make her happy, make him happy. If it's dependent on that, we're going to get in that vicious cycle of defense, that vicious cycle of pointing out somebody's wrong, somebody is at fault, and if that's all we're doing, then we're never, ever going to experience the godly kind of love that God offers us and that God wants us to live. Here's the other problem that that really multiplies this. When you were dating, you were showing her, guys, the best parts of you, right? I mean, you were on your best behavior. You know what? You had manners, your clothes, uh, your clothes matched, you fixed your hair, you shaved, okay? 
All of that stuff was working and things were happening. We don't know who was helping you match your clothes at that time, but that's not important. The point is you showed up and things looked put together. We put the best show on, right? This is the best part of me. And we do our best at really hiding all the bad parts, don't we? We're really good. It's like, a, it's, it's like buying a used car. Have you ever bought a, a used car? You know what? <clears throat> I go to Fox Toyota to buy my cars Every time, because I trust them and I love them dearly, they're great people. Before I knew those people, I bought a couple of used cars. And by the way, I always buy used cars because I follow a lot of what Dave Ramsey says. And so I, 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 I bought a car, and, 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 and what they do is exactly what we do when we're dating. Here's leather seats, and here's the CD player, and here's the automatic windows, and here's the cruise control. And you're looking for the things that are wrong, but you can't find it. It's like, I can't find it. But then you buy the car, and then you drive the car, and you find out the brakes don't work. And you take it back, and you say, hey, the brakes don't work. And the guy says, sorry, you bought it. And then in marriage, it's like, here's the best part of me. Look at how my clothes match, and look at how nice I am. And then we get married, and like two years later, we really learn who this person really is. And they're like, sorry, you bought it. It's like, you can't get rid of me now. You know, I, I'm in. See, that trend just really continues in our life. Let me hide the worst parts of me so that I show the best parts of me so that then she will love me. But listen, real, true, God-ordained love is this is the ugly me, the worst parts of me and I lay it out on the table and I say this is who I am and the response of true love looks at all of that junk and says I choose you and I love you and there is nothing that you can do or say that is going to change my mind nothing is going to separate me Nothing is going to take away my love for you. Nothing is going to derail me no matter what comes up, no matter what sickness you go through, no matter what turmoil you take me through. I choose you and I love you and there is nothing that will separate. Folks, that is a different love and a different mentality and love that the world does not offer And that the world will not show in movies and that the world cannot sing about. Because there is not a song that can be sung about God's love that grasps just the amazingness and the grace of it all and and, and the wonder of it all. When our weaknesses are exposed, the other person calls us out, our response is to defend. It's a recipe for disaster. And as we experience that in our marriage, we begin to feel separated. We feel separated from our spouse. We live with them. We have kids with them. We manage life together with them, but we feel separated. The same could be true as a parent. The same could be true at work. You feel separated. The same could be true about your relationship with God. You know Jesus, you come to church, you've experienced worship, you do that on a regular basis, and yet you are here and you feel separated from God. You know, the English language cannot really even explain love. 
I mean, we have one word for the word love. Love. <laughs> Every other language like has more than one word to explain love. But you know how I know this? Because, because just listen to yourself talk. Because we love, you know, we love fun dip. We love nap time. You know? We love UT football. And we love our spouse. Now, tell me, this is crazy, that the same word can describe our love for fun dip, the same word that we describe this undying love for our spouse. We just can't even explain it. It's just not even, we just can't really even in the English language, just like describe it well enough. In, in the Greek language, there are a few different words that they use for love. What we're going to see here is the love agape. This agape love is a word that wasn't used very often at all at the time uh, until Paul comes along and Christianity comes along. And then Paul begins to use it in the New Testament as a God love. The Hebrew, word, the Hebrew language has several words for love as well. There's one called hesed. It means God's loving kindness. We see it all throughout the scripture. Uh, we see other, other words, ahava. It's kind of get that throaty kind of ahava kind of word. It's fun to say. Uh, just kind of gets the front row a little wet, but I won't say anymore. But that, that kind of love is a love that I was just explaining. Here's the worst of me. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. And yet, I choose you. I adopt you. I love you. The reality is, the only people that are separated from God's love today in this room are those who have never accepted Christ into your life. So if Christ is not in your life, then you, yes, this promise is not for you. You are separated from God's love. But the promise that we're going to read about today is for those who have accepted Christ in your life, you've decided to follow him, you're being changed by him, Okay, you're pursuing him. And I would say if you're not pursuing him, hating sin, pursuing Jesus, then you should question your faith. Showing up on Sunday does not mean you are a Christian. Pursuing him, loving him, being changed by him. And by doing that, yeah, we're a disciple. And when we are a disciple, listen, there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. And so I, I really wanted to start there. It's important because if, if we don't reprogram our brains for how we understand love, then we never quite grasp God's love. And if we can't accept and grasp the love of God, then our spiritual lives will be empty and, 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 and kind of there and kind of hit or miss and not really truly going forth. We're, we're, we're still kind of loving God through serving. And if I serve here and here and here and do this and this and this, then God's going to love me. That mentality continues to plague you. And we want to overcome that, go deeper into God's love, that it's not about what you do. It's not about how you live or your behavior. It is a choice and love act of God that says, I choose you. And you say, but I'm not worthy. He's like, yeah, I know. I love you anyway. Here's what the Bible says in Acts, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. <clears throat> what then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that is amazing. Um, Let me talk a little bit about what we learn here. Um, This promise... Remember where we left off um, a few weeks back. Remember that this promise is for those who have been chosen and are in the family of God. They are believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 28 says that you love him and are called according to his purpose. This is his purpose. This is an everlasting security. Verse 29 says that you are foreknown. That is that you are recognized with favor. That means that you are loved before time. It means that you are predestined to be like Christ and you are called from death to life. You are justified once for all. Those whom he calls, he justifies. Those he justifies, he glorifies. Not those he calls is is, is justified and if they follow the right path and step and jump through the right hoops, then I glorify. No, 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 no. He calls us according to his purpose. He loves us. He chooses us. He predestines us. He foreknows us. He justifies us and he glorifies us all in the same moment and all unfolding over time. But things happen in our life that make us feel separated from God's love. I mean, this is life. Things happen in life that make us feel separated from our spouse, that make us feel separated from church and Christian fellowship, and that make us feel separated from ultimately the love of God. And that is why this text is here today. And it's why I believe God has brought you here today to hear that despite what happens in life, despite feelings and happiness and emotions in life, those who are in Christ Jesus cannot be separated by the love from the love of Christ. Now that is huge. What is his love? Let's get a let's go through some descriptions of God's love. Number 1, his love is constant. His love is constant. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see God's love is constant. He is for you. And when God is for you, who can be against you? Like when, when God picks you and chooses you and you're on his team, guess what? 
you win. You remember when you were a kid and you were like, you know, dividing up for kickball or whatever, and you were looking for like the biggest kid or the, you know, the fastest kid, and you just, you just wanted to be on his team or her team. It's like, you know, I'm trying to pick him or please pick me or when the other team is picking, you're hiding. And then when the guy is, you want to be on, then you're, you're kind of showing. That's how it is. We want to be on God's team, right? Because when he's for us, nothing can stop us. Nothing can overcome us and defeat us. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You see, God's love is constant. He gave his son up for us to prove his love for us and that it would be constant. Now, there are some religions and some strands in even Christianity today that say that you can lose this love. That, that you, can, you, can, you can do something and God chooses to not love you any longer. The Roman Catholic Church says that there are certain mortal sins that if you commit and you do not confess them to a priest and you die without confessing that, you will spend eternity in hell. So, here, so here's what the thought is there. Guess what? Every sin that you can possibly think of that you committed, you better confess it to a priest ASAP because if you die, you're going to hell. And it's like, that would be like in every set, that would be like a full-time job. Yeah, you know, at least it would be for my life. I don't know about all you holy people out there, you know, looking so perfect today, by the way, looking nice. But it's, that'd be a full-time job for me and I still wouldn't cover all my sin. Some people say that, you know what, God's, nothing can pluck you out of the hand of God because we know that verse about snatching things. But a person can choose to jump out of God's hand. And to that, I just got to shake my head and say, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Here's, here's, here's the deal, folks. Remember, did you do anything to deserve your salvation? Of course not. Did you do anything to earn that salvation? Of course not then how can something that is given to you purely by grace, something that you cannot earn, cannot receive apart from God, how can you truly step away from that or walk away from something that you did not even get on your own? See, here's the, here's the reality. It is God's grace that saves us and it, it is his grace that sustains us to the end. Well, what if I'm an apostate and I run away from Jesus or I give up the faith? I've seen people do that. Well, the Bible speaks to that. The Bible speaks to that and says, if those people that you're referring to have walked away, then they never really were one of us. They never really got it in the first place. The Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which means that he saves us purely by grace. And then as we live our life, he gives us the grace to continue to have faith in him to the end. That's the promise for those who are called according to his purpose. That that faith is going to grow and maintain throughout your life. That is God's love. Listen, that's not Hollywood love. Because you accepted Christ and then, man, you have had some ups. But, man, you've had some downs. Think about it. How down you've been and you've thought, well, maybe I don't really get. Listen, it is God's grace. It is his love when we don't deserve it, that he continues to give us the faith 
of love. So the church can't take it away. You can't take it away. Let me make a point here. 1 John 5.18 says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. So the idea there in 1 John is if you're the person that hears about the grace of God and says, oh, cool, sweet, man, I prayed a prayer. I got baptized when I was a kid. So I'm just going to run out there and live however I want to live. And I'm just going to sleep around and I'm just going to live in sin. And you know what? God's going to love me. To that, we would say, come on, man, you're not quite grasping the concept here. Of course, no one can live that way and still truly claim to have faith in Christ because Christ and his love within us compels us to pursue him and follow him. If I'm just living a flippant life, not worried about my sin, not worrying about following Jesus, then I'm not a believer. I'm just, I'm just lying to myself. Number two, not only is his love constant, his love is generous. Look again at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him. Circle that word in your Bible. Man, what a great word. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give? Circle those words. Another amazing words in your Bible. Graciously give us all things. So here's the thing. If God loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me, then he loves me enough to take care of all my needs. Here's what some of you kind of struggle with. You know what? I don't have any prayer requests today because things are pretty good, you know, in my life. And so, you know, I I don't really want to bring God to little things. You know, marriage is good, not in turmoil. And it's like we we start developing this, this framework thinking that I only need to bring God the big stuff. You know, when my marriage is you know, failing and we're about to get a divorce, then I'll bring it to God. Or, you know, when my finances are such a wreck, we're about ready to, you know, go into bankruptcy. Now I'm going to give my finances to God. It's like, well, I'm glad you're doing it then. But let's do that way, way, way over on this end of the spectrum. We say, well, God doesn't, you know, I don't want to bother God with all these little things. But seriously, this is God. Your big things are still little to him, Right? So it doesn't matter what we bring. He graciously gives us all things. God is for us. How do we know that he is for us? Verse 32 tells us how we know God is for us. And the illustration is that he sent his son for us. He sent his son and paid the ultimate sacrifice by sending his own son to die on our behalf. He saves you and by doing that he solves our biggest problem our need for forgiveness and love and salvation. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, you can put it under your eyes. You can hold it on a sign at a a football game. One of the most powerful verses in, in the entire Bible. That God so, so loved us that he gave his only Begotten Son, for all the KJV lovers out there. Remember that one? Remember memorizing that as a kid? It's like, I don't know what this means, but if I memorize it, I get candy. So I'm going to memorize it. He gave his only begotten Son. You see, God is a giver. His love is 
gracious. His love is not only constant, his love is generous. He is not a stingy God that would say, you know what, I've got all this great stuff for you, but I'm not going to give it to you. You've got to jump through these hoops, man. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. And if you do, then I'll give you... Prosperity gospel is killing, killing third world, third world countries with that idea that if you, you know, sow a seed or give money or just believe enough, then God's going to bless you materially. God's going to give you all these resources and it's going to give you the new car that you've been dreaming of. That is just bull. It's crazy. The Bible actually, like, speaks in the exact opposite. The Bible looks at wealth as not a good thing and that the love of wealth is ultimately wrong. It ultimately leads us far from God. So why in the world would the Bible say wealth is, is not a great, love for wealth is not a good thing. And then over here say, but if you just believe enough and follow enough, then God's going to give you all this cool like money stuff and cars and cool, you know, houses and it just doesn't add up. But yes, God is a generous God. As we follow him, as we love him, we experience his graciousness. We experience his love. And then we begin to live in a place of ultimate peace in our heart. Where it's not I am serving God or I'm going to church because if I do, God does something for me. It's I can't wait to go to church. I can't wait to worship. I can't wait to serve him because I love it. And so when you think about it as a spouse and in a marriage, it's like I, it's not like I have the, you know, the ring is on the finger, man. The ball and chain is on the leg. I can't get rid of. So it's like I've got to endure and I've got to do this thing, you know, at least until the kids get out. Now it's, wait a minute, was I understand God's love? Then I can begin to understand what love for my spouse is. Because love for my spouse is not, what she does for me that makes me happy, then I love her. It's not a conditional love. It's a sacrificial love that I choose to love you. Not, not on appearance, you know, not if you, if you keep the weight down, not if you dress the part, not if you, you know, talk to me right, not if you, you know, live and walk all these little rules that I create in order to make sure that you're, you're the person that I married 30 years ago, 20 years ago, for me 13 years ago. But I love you no matter what, and I'm going to serve you no matter what, and not because I have to ball and chain love, but because I want to, and I love you you and I enjoy loving you I mean don't you want to live there that's where we live with God every day of our life he sees us and he sees our sin and he sees our transgressions and he sees how we know all this great stuff but we continue to live for ourselves we continue to go away from him and do our thing and he still pursues us and he still loves us us. That's the kind of love I want to experience. Finally, his love is secure. His love is secure. Look at verses 33 and 34 again. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? In other words, who's going to come against us and charge us with a sin, convict us of a sin? It is God who justifies, he says. 
Who is to condemn? Who's going to condemn us? Who's going to say, hey, you messed up here. Hey, you're bad here. Hey, you're not worthy here. He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's raised. And also, by the way, just in case you're wondering, he's at the right hand of God. And he's praying for us right now. He's interceding for us right now. Now, if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Revelation chapter 12. Who is the accuser? Imagine the courtroom scene. God is in the judge's chair. And the accuser comes up and he says, Trent is a loser. He does this. He does that. He thinks this. He goes here. He, and, he, and he throws out the list on all the bad stuff I've done. He throws the list out on what you have done. Revelation 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Who's the accuser? Satan is the accuser. And he is accusing you day and night. And so imagine the courtroom scene here. God is the judge. Satan is the prosecuting attorney. You're on trial. And it's like, okay, this guy, look how he speaks to people. Look at what he has looked at. Look at what he has done. Look at how he acts. And he's accusing you and shaming you and pointing at you day and night before God the judge and who comes to our defense who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who's at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us who then shall separate us from the love of Christ and the point is Nothing, because the prosecuting attorney, Satan, is accusing you. And at the same time, our attorney, our mediator, Jesus, is saying, you know what? I made him righteous. Through what I did, they're clean. They're golden. They're forgiven. And so the judge, sitting in his seat, sees the son and his sacrifice and what he has done. And the Bible says that righteousness is imputed to us. In other words, God doesn't see my sin any longer. He sees what Jesus and his righteousness has done for me, which means free and clear, not guilty. Nothing separates from the love of God. Folks, that is a love that will blow your mind. I was talking to somebody who said, I don't really have that great of a testimony not long ago. Uh, I hear this all the time. I used to say this because I, you know, growing up in church sometimes it's like, I don't really remember like all this and, you know, we don't have like this major sin that we, so we think, ah, not too good of a story. Folks, I'm telling you, 
every single story of a sinner coming to know Jesus, experiencing the love of God, being transformed by the power of God, is a blockbuster hit. It is a story for the ages. And we've got to tell that story. Christ Jesus is our mediator. He is interceding even for us right now. Folks, this is the love of God. And nothing separates us from that. Can we believe that and accept that? That's, that's what we've got to pray for. Because I can believe it all, God. I, I believe that you love me. Nothing can separate. But remember what, what I'm doing here. Are you sure you still love me? Are you, sh- are you sure? He's, he's sure. Nothing separates us from his love. I want to ask you to bow your heads and let's begin to pray through this. The band is going to close us out with a great closing song that speaks to right where we're at. But as we do, I want to encourage you to spend this time with God. Would you begin to ask that He would show you His love, that you would accept His love, that you would experience His love. For those of you that are believers in this room, diving into that love, understanding it, accepting it, is one of the greatest journeys you can take. Some of us know just enough about His love that we've experienced salvation. Well, it's time for you to go even deeper to have a deeper relationship with him some of you maybe have never taken that first step to trust in Christ I want to encourage you today don't leave without coming to talk to me our counselors are going to be here as well they'll be standing at the door directly to my left you're right if you need somebody to pray with you if you need somebody to walk you through that decision they'd be glad to do that at any time during this song at any time uh, before you leave today we're here for you Father speak to us help us experience your love we praise you and we love you in Jesus name Amen